Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another grand and glorious, well, a little less than glorious day in the best little city in America. Uber producer Dan Peters and I will host this next two hours of conversation on news and politics, music and culture, travel and sport. Thanks for spending some of your precious time with us today while you're out driving around, getting ready for the holiday, doing a few last minute It's not even last minute yet. Just starting to knock down those tasks you need to knock down to get ready for the big holiday weekend. Or if you're out still working on the job site, listening to the show, thank you. Streaming through your work computer at KSOO.com or on the new KSOO mobile app. I love hearing your comments in person or through social media. Remember, you can always follow along on Twitter at P. Lally Show or live Facebook at the KSOO page. I appreciate, I do deeply appreciate your support and input for this program. I was out and about downtown last night, uh, met up with my, my good brother, and uh, it's apparent to me that the, the city is, is ramping up to full holiday mode. It was a Tuesday night out there, people, and there were people everywhere, <laughs> uh, It's just, you know, all the night spots, restaurants and such, I, I came across full a lot of people out there. It's great to see. There's a joy, you know, to the buildup in this, to the week of Christmas as we come closer and closer to a long weekend for a lot of people and a good stretch off of work for others. You know, before all the family functions and the spiritual observation, there's this welcome disconnection from the strains and the pressures of the work life and, uh, you know, an appreciation of, of just real life, relaxation and getting in touch with people. Some of my greatest memories actually are, as I think back on it, are born from this period, uh, whether it was the break from college. I remember my first uh, Christmas break in college. I came home and it was about uh, a million below zero the entire week. It never got above zero in 19, would have been 1983, 84 winter. And it was gosh awful, let me tell you. I was driving that uh, 1970 Plymouth Duster with the vinyl seats, and they never did really warm up, Dan. They didn't, they didn't warm up for weeks. Oh, and I remember those, at least the, the Mopar starters, not just the Plymouths, but the Dodges and the mm-hmm. Chrysler, they were hard to start in mm-hmm. cold weather. Wow, 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 wow. You're pumping on the, you had the, you had the old uh, manual clutch in the, and you get the pump it or with the with the seventy duster, I had taken the clutch off because it was gummed up, uh, so I'd taken the clutch mechanism out of the uh, carburetor, and so the only way to uh, get it to start in very cold weather was to pump the living bejesus out of it in a very fast fashion, right at the top of the. Oh, it was awful, and then you had to keep doing that just to keep simulate a clutch. Yeah, we used to do that Not with our clutch. old Ford pickup. It was a '68 Ford. Uh, three-quarter ton, yeah. and had a manual choke. Choke. I so, meant yeah. choke. I was yeah, saying clutch, go. and you meant clutch. choke. Yeah, yeah, choke, yeah. Pull out the manu- yeah. manual choke and pump it real hard. And mm-hmm. eventually, <laughs> eventually, I did put a manual choke on that thing, and but uh, for a long time, no choke. And it was a, it was a struggle, and it was cold. But I re- I'll remember that time as uh, uh, a lot of fun, too, because I was seeing a lot of people, a lot of friends were back from college. Of course, there's always reconnecting with your friends home from other campuses. There's that pure celebration of being young and optimistic. Um, 
that it's like an easy comfort when you have that multiple levels of family, you know, gathered together for what, you know, when you think about it now, it's just a small window of time. It's, you know, there's a continuum of generations, but they have very little overlap when we think back on it. Uh, you know, the dysfunction and the strain and the reality of life mean that those moments, they're just not easily repeatable. And as we enter these new stages of life, of children growing, parents passing, people going their separate ways, there's some comfort in the continuity of the collective exhale that is this beginning of the holiday season. And I felt that over the weekend. It was SantaCon on Saturday, and I was downtown, and it was just joyous. And then last night in my city. Maybe I'll see some of uh, my old friends over the next several days. You know, maybe not. It sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. I might make some new friends and live in different moments that will stick forever in my brain. But in the meantime, I'm going to take some comfort in that slideshow of opaque and grainy scenes that uh, of holidays past that are constantly flowing somewhere behind my eyes. We've got a great show for you today. Our guests include Jonathan Ellis, the finest investigative reporter and columnist working in South Dakota today. He'll be with us for the second hour. Jonathan broke the story earlier this week, revealing that the Department of Justice has opened a criminal investigation related to the Copper Lounge building collapse. We'll talk to him a little bit about that and ongoing stories and ongoing topics that we like to hit. Scott Hudson is in for Weird Friends. He's put together his best of the year list, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk with about uh, holiday travel with Mar- Marilyn Buskell. She's the manage, she's manager of public and governmental affairs with AAA in South Dakota. And we'll have the PL statement just after the break. Today's topic, golf. Or something like golf. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 316 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Get a little closer to free here with the Bodines and the PL statement today on the show. Looking through the news a little bit, uh, of course, the big tax bill passed. Uh, clearly, cuts to entitlements are coming next. That's uh, next target for the GOP Congress and the president. This will be, I think, you know, tax cuts was a big idea, big deal, but I think that this, the coming debate on entitlements could be one of the most fundamental debates of our time. The nature of the social safety net evolved over the past seven decades. Because old people died in their homes, children went hungry, and families were devastated by unavoidable hardship. When we begin undoing that safety net, we open the door to a redefinition, really, of what we believe as a country and potentially minimize our commitment to human dignity. But, you know, no big deal. It's coming next. You, uh, they're going to have to do it. Um, and they've said they're going to do it. So we'll have that debate. It's going to be a good one. Uh, But what I really want to spend some time on today is the great golf debate of 2017. Of course, we talked a little bit about this issue yesterday with Tom Jansa on the program, and it has sort of blossomed into a bigger deal, and it just got bigger at council last night. Crazy. So last night, the city council rejected the uh, preferred selection 
of Landscapes Unlimited from Lincoln, Nebraska, to manage the city's three public golf courses. Uh, you'll remember this is a culmination of several weeks of speculation and suggestion since that announcement uh, in October when the city said it would end its 23-year relationship with Dakota Management, Dakota Golf Management. Uh, went through the RFP process, got five bids, picked uh, Landscapes Unlimited. Uh, but I got to tell you, after last night, that rejection, this is the most botched process by the city of Sioux Falls in recent memory. First off, the city has every right okay, to examine the contract, however long the relationship, to ask the hard questions and even go out for a new contract. That's all fine. That's appropriate. It's a step to make best use of taxpayer money and property. Cool. Uh, and the fact that Dakota Golf didn't win is not in and of itself an issue that should have drawn greater examination. The company run by Tom Jansa, who I've known for a long time, is local with long ties to the community. Ending that contract and giving it to an out-of-state company was going to get pushback no matter what. We knew that. But sometimes that is the best thing to do. And Landscape Unlimited, by all measure, is a fine, fine outfit. They haven't done anything wrong. But for some reason, that doesn't seem immediately apparent to me. The administration of Mayor Mike Huther has decided to screw up the process about as much as they can. Consider a a few key points in this debate that we talked about yesterday and have come out of the debate. Why this year? Everybody knew that the city courses were coming off a long stretch of construction and remodel, particularly a major reworking of Elmwood Golf Course because of the demands by the FAA regarding the space around the airport, the Sioux Falls Regional Airport out there. What that meant is that play and revenue has obviously been suppressed out there. And uh, Don Kearney, the head of the Parks Department, said last night that one of the reasons they uh, extended the contract five years ago rather than going through this whole process was because they knew the construction was coming and it was going to be an odd time. But that suppression of revenue had nothing to do with Dakota Golf, who oversaw all the renovation. They suffered the consequences. They put in the time. So it makes little sense. In fact, it seems deliberately punitive to make this push now. Why not next year? The secrecy of the RFP process, which as a separate point should be examined for reform, and we know that's a topic, but what it did here is it created an atmosphere of suspicion that was further inflamed by the compression of the timetable. No, just think about this. As, as Councillor Neitzert said this last night during the debate, they were given a 100-page contract on Friday and told to approve it on Tuesday. That's absurd. But perhaps worse than that, Neitzert says that he asked to see the winning proposal, the actual bid, but was told he couldn't have access to it until the contract was approved. He's a city councilor. That is a paternalistic trait that is built into the DNA of this administration, and it is haunting nearly every transaction at this point. Three, even after the choice of Landscapes Unlimited was made, the, the city has continued to screw this up, specifically the purchase of the equipment that goes with the golf course. And, and uh, Tom Jansen was on this program yesterday, and he talked about it. We're talking about the carts and mowers and paper clips and comp- all the stuff that they own that you need to run a golf course. Dakota Golf has had to purchase or lease all of that. If Landscapes Unlimited want to work out a deal to transfer all that, and even human assets like staff, 
Why weren't they working with Jansa at Dakota Golf? Why is the city even involved? Why are we as taxpayers all of a sudden in the business of purchasing equipment when we weren't before? And if Jansa rejects their offer and sells it for more on the open market, what do we do then? Buy all new equipment? Do we make... I just don't, why is the city in there? The secrecy and the strange nature of the decisions have massively screwed up what was already going to be a strain transfer. We knew that just because of the circumstances. That led the city council, all eight of them last night, all eight of them agreed not to approve the contract and to find out if they can simply extend the existing contract with Dakota Golf another year. And now we have this theater political theater of a special meeting on Tuesday, the day after Christmas, ho, 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 to get a contract approved before the first of the year. And I saw comments by some uh, season pass holders and that kind of thing where, you know, there used to be a discount for buying before the first of the year. Is that going to be extended? So you're leaving your actual customers in limbo and treating them poorly. These are the people who turned out uh, in the dozens last night with very little notice, to protest this. You know, the customers, the citizens. If the city really wants to be in the golf business, good luck. Generally speaking, the rate of play, the rounds of play across the country took a huge hit during the Great Recession. And if we believe that having golf courses is good for the quality of life in Sioux Falls, that the legacy of public ownership is something we want to continue, it's probably time to finally decide what the model should look like. Are we in the golf business or are we not in the golf business? If a company can't make money off of running our golf courses, what then? So Landscape Unlimited is guaranteed like $75,000. Chump change, right? Plus 11% 11 of the profit. What if there is no profit? It's possible. Golf is not as popular as it once was. Maintaining golf courses is more expensive than it used to be. It's only going to get more difficult. Because you also have increased competition from Great Life, which is markedly cheaper. Markedly cheaper. But you don't get to play Elmwood, and you don't get to play Prairie Green, but you do get to play Willow Run, Hartford, Del Rapids, Baker Crossing, on and on and on. So Landscapes Unlimited is coming into this as a good company, but against increased competition. So just raising the greens fees may not be the thing to do. That's not going to just make up the difference because you're dealing in a very aggressively priced market. So does the city want to be in the golf business or not? Dakota Golf has rolled with the punches over the years. They've survived the lean times and done what they can do to adjust the relationship. But golf is not a gold mine. In fact, it's a tough business. As I said, my concern ultimately is not the defense of Dakota Golf here. Business is business. And if there's a better way to go, what is it? That's a separate conversation. What worries me is the at times puzzling nature of how the Uthru administration is doing business with this contract. 
there's some unnecessary heavy, heavy-handedness that simply doesn't make sense to me. That's why the council said no last night. And that's why we find ourselves in this rather ridiculous situation of a Tuesday night meeting after Christmas to rush through some different sort of contract to extend it a year, if they can, for Dakota Golf. And maybe it'll all work out. But how did it get so screwed up in the first place? That's the bottom line on today's P&L. Agree or disagree with me, you can email me all the time. Patrick at KSO.com. You can follow us at Twitter, of course, at P. Lally Show, and shoot your comments to us there. We always appreciate that. You can follow us on Facebook at on the KSOO page. Coming up after the break, it's Scott Hudson in for Weird Friends. That's on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. 333 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. We let that linger for just a moment. The replacements, the ledge, the theme song for Mr. Scott Hudson. He of the Weird Friends fame and uh, many social media accounts and uh, blogs and uh, very, you know, Scott, you are uh, uh, a very prolific blogger, writer, social media person. I think you're onto something there. <laughs> yeah, uh, and one of the things I just want to let that come through. Um, the one of the things you do every year is uh, a big compilation, best of twenty whatever, best of the year album, and uh, other lists. Um, and you've recently finished it. Um, and before we yeah. talk about it too much, how much time do you think you put into compiling the list? Oh, it takes forever. I mean, and even if I'm not home, actually, you know, listening to music or stuff, I'm I'm thinking in my head this stuff. I mean, I I kind of begin the process, I don't know, around Thanksgiving, and and uh, you know, the, the record industry kind of stops putting out new music right around that time too. That helps. Yeah. Uh, um. So yeah, I start thinking out. I'll, I'll I'll spend a few nights with. With uh, it used to be all my CDs laying around. Now it's a lot of vinyl laying around, and and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a complete geek. I've been doing these, I don't know, since early '90s. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's because I I like I don't pretend to be the definitive answer to the best records of the year, and just like I don't find any other list to be the definitive answer. But I love looking at them because I may find something that I've missed out on. And that's what I hope I do with my list. I hope someone, you know, takes a look at it and goes, oh, you know, this record looks pretty good. Maybe I should check it out. Absolutely. And so I saw your list, which you have published. Before we get into it, if people want to go look at the entire, you, you pick 40 records, albums. 40 came, best records of the year, yeah. That came out this year, and they are listed on your blog, which is uh, scotthudson.blogspot.com. Yep, and you can find that there. And I imagine you uh, will talk about this during your podcast. Actually, uh, the last two podcasts have been my list. Last Friday, I did uh, I did a three hour show of a track from each of the forty records. The week before, I did my other list, which we haven't brought up yet, which is the twenty best archive releases of the year. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So, and that uh, that pl- your podcast is live on uh, Real Punk Radio on. 
Friday nights from six to eight, correct? Yes. And uh, you can go back and listen to those. And if you go to scotthudson.blogspot.com, you can find all that, right? Yep. Or go into iTunes and look for the yeah. ledge. Cool. And you'll, yeah. See, that's Stitcher. what I'm saying. You're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I try to be. <laughs> I'm a media whore. But I thought what we would do here today is we're obviously not going to get through all 40, but I read no. it and, you know, there's, there's so much on there that I just, I have no idea what it is, but it gives you just, you're like, I need something new to listen to. I'm going to look at this list and see what's on there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty that's, cool. I already saw some that's stuff. The goal. Yeah. I'm very interested in a few of them and I'm going to seek them out, but I thought we would go through the top five. So okay. why don't you start with number five? Uh, number five is, is a record we've talked about a couple of times in the few months I've been a weird friend. Um, mm-hmm. That is the new Jason Isbell record, the Nashville Sound. Um, many, you know, many, many lists has this record at number one, number two. I mean, it's, it is the Americana slash country record of the, the, the critical Americana slash country record of the year. Obviously, to get into the pop, you know, the, the pop country record of the year, you're going to get a completely different results. Exactly. Uh, um, but yeah, I, this, this record deserves each and every accolade it's getting. I mean, this, uh, I mean, there's some rousing anthems and there's some quiet little, um, uh, confessional type songs. I mean, I, I, I do think this may be his best record ever. I, uh, yeah. And, and now having gone back and listened to the catalog, I, I tend to think so, but you know, we'll see what he's got next up his sleeve, but that, that was a very good. So that's number five. What's number four? Number four is the surprising return of an eighties, uh, alternative band called the Jesus of Mary chain. Uh, their new record, their 2017 record is called damage and joy. Um, it's, it's kind of a miracle. There's even a record because these, the Jesus of Mary chain are, are two brothers, uh, William and Jim Reed. And they famously hate each other, just like the guys in Oasis hate mm-hmm. each other, just like the, the Davies brothers and the Kinks hate each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but they reunited for a tour in 2007, but I think the fact that it took 10 years for them to decide to make a record says that, you know, the hatred is probably still there. <laughs> um, but this is, it, it, if you like 80s-ish alternative rock that's really melodic, really poppy, uh, this is as good as anything they did back then. Yeah, not to. I I was kind of surprised by this because I have not heard this whole record. But there's a couple others too. Isn't there a a, a Joy Division record on here? No, 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 no not who, Joy Division. Who is it? There's somebody back from the '80s. Uh, Robin Hitchcock is one. John oh, that's Harding right. is another. This is this was a great great year. In fact, I want to say this has been a great year for music in general. But it's also been a great great year for artists who haven't put out anything noteworthy in a long, long time. And John Wesley Harding and Robin Hitchcock are perfect examples. When was the last time you listened to any of their stuff? Probably 1989. It's been a little while. John Wesley probably more recently, but not not new stuff. Yeah. Oh, right. I know what it was. It was Dream Syndicate. Oh, yeah. That's, that's another one. They're on my list, too. Yep. Um, yeah, Joy Division. That guy's dead. Uh, yeah, that's, they're not reuniting. <laughs> Oh, okay. So number three, number three is a person who most people have never heard of, but he's all over this list and he's all over record stores because there's this little group of musicians and out primarily based in LA that are, they're all prolific. They're all on each other's records. Um, 
um, they put out two, three different albums a year, each of their little side projects. It's pretty amazing. But the center of all of this is a guy by the name of Ty Seagal. And he's, uh, he's, uh, I don't, I mean, he's, it's all over the place. He's, he's a, he's known for garage rock, but there's some kind of, there's, there's some T-Rex in it. There's some, um, hard rock mixed in. I mean, it's, it's, um, it all fits together, but it's all very different. And, and it's a self-titled record. I don't know why he's got a self. I mean, usually that's the first record by an act. Right. You know, this, this is like his 30th album. This is um, sort of right up your alley, isn't it? This. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, there's a mil- there's, a, there's probably six other records on my 40 that have some ties to tie. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Number two. Uh, number two is a Canadian band that actually played a total drag about six weeks ago. Uh, they're, they are called the Courtney's and it's a three, three girl, um, very melodic, fuzzy, alternative rock, you know, punk influence, but not punk by any means. Uh, the record is just simply called two. So it's great that they're at number two on my list. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That worked out well. Uh, and, uh, the big finish, number one, on yeah, number one of number Scott one is Hudson. Be, that's going to be no surprise to anyone no. who knows me. No, um, I, but it, it, it kind of is in a way because I when when uh, when the replacements broke up in '91, you know, everyone expected that it would be Paul Westerberg that would make all the greatest music of those four members, and he did put out a lot of great music. Mm-hmm. But that Bash and Pop record that came out then, I said at that time. This might be the best solo project by a replacements member ever. Here we are 25 years later, 2017, and Tommy Stinson has reunited Bash and Pop and put out this record called Anything Could Happen, and it's even better than that first Bash and Pop record, it's, in my opinion. It's uh, amazing. And uh, I saw Bash and Pop the, after the first record with Friday Night is Killing Me. Is killing and uh, <laughs> well done. Thank you. Um, and then I, you know, he had kind of faded out. Really, uh, there was yeah, the reunion he, and everything, um, but he did. Yeah, he, he was here doing the solo show, and it was awesome. Oh, that was one of the best nights we've had in town for for the last few years. Yep, and it was you, me, and about forty other people. That I know thought. it was really cool. And then, uh, and then this record, and Tommy Stinson's alive and well, man. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, not only did he play in the replacements, but uh, people forget that, for better or worse, he he was the bass player for Guns N' Roses in the late '90s, early 2000s. Yep. So I, it's obvious he he was paying attention to what these weird leaders of both bands were doing. I mean, his songwriting skills have greatly improved over time. And you know that what what more can you ask for than to get better as time goes on? Doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. Uh, so, uh, Tommy, or Bash and Pop, uh, Anything Could Happen, is the number one record of the year, according to what Scott Hudson likes. Exactly. <laughs> and you can read all about that at scotthudson.blogspot.com. There's a full detailing of all 40 records. Uh, quickly, you also do an archive, which is reissues, compilations, box sets, all that kind of business that happens out there. Uh, what, yeah. what were the, what were the sort of highlights of that? There's 20 of those. What were the highlights of that list? Yeah. I mean, I do a separate list cause it's really not fair to like have a greatest hits record compete with a brand new album right. or, you know, a box set of one of the greatest records ever. 
you can't compare it to something that just came out last week. Right. Um, so I do this stuff. I, I've done this. I haven't done this as, as long. Um, but it's actually kind of fun. I mean, one one thing that's happened in the CD and now vinyl ages is, is you know record companies are putting out these all a ton of unreleased material for dorks like me. Um, <laughs> no surprise, Minneapolis tops this list with a couple things. First off, the the Husker Du box set called Savage Young Du. Uh, you know, it's everything a fan could ask for. Uh, of course, the Replacements live albums. Not shockingly, nope. tops that list. Uh, but there's some stuff here that I think more 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 of your listeners might know about or want to know about. Um, there was a box set version of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper this year that is, uh, you know, despite all the what people say about the Beatles reissuing everything a million times, they haven't, they've been stingy with stuff from the vault. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sgt. Pepper box set has a ton of outtakes and uh, early versions and things like that. And, uh, and it's been remastered. Uh, the stereo version has been remixed. It sounds better than ever. Uh, so that's something uh, I think would be a great Christmas present. There you go. Well, Christmas tip from Scott Hudson. That's, that's, right. that's, a, that's a nice way to uh, end the show. Go buy the Beatles Sgt. Pepper box set. How's that sound for you? Sounds have, good to me. Merry Christmas. Yeah, uh, actually, Scott, have a great holiday, and we will hopefully hook up with you next week. All right, I'll be here. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, we're going to talk about holiday travel. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 348 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And, of course, it's a busy, busy holiday weekend coming up, and... All indications are that you people are headed out. You're traveling. So we got Marilyn Busco, who is manager of public and governmental affairs for AAA in South Dakota, on the line to tell us how bad is it going to be. Marilyn, how bad is it going to be? Oh, it's going to be bad. Um, this is a year-end um, all-time record for holiday travel. It's about three, little over three percent increase from last year. That's wild. So, yeah, they, they estimate that 107 million Americans uh, will be traveling over the holidays. And what does that mean for, I, I suppose, if you're just driving to Parkston or something, it's probably not so bad. No, this survey basically is for you know, um, anyone taking a 50-mile or more trip from home. Got it. So, and um, we expect that about 200. 80,000 South Dakotans will be traveling, and of that, 91% will be traveling by car. That's, that's an incredible number, if you think about it. it. So there's you know, roughly 800,000 South Dakotans, and 200 and some thousand are traveling more than 50 miles? Yes. yes. That's, that's a lot of mo- people moving around, That's isn't a it? lot of people moving that won't be home for the holidays, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I suppose I'm going to pay more for gas just because I know that everybody's driving around, so I'm going to, punch, I'm going to pump up the price of that gas a little bit, right? <laughs> well, actually, we don't expect that gas. Gas has been going down. Mm-hmm. It's about $0.07 cents less than it was a couple of weeks ago. So um, the statewide average in South Dakota today is at $2.45 a gallon, and we don't expect that that will go up over the holiday time frame. Well, that's like a little Christmas gift then from the uh, petroleum retailers. Yes. 
Well, gas is still really cheap compared to uh, what it can be and what it has been. Yes. Is that do you think that's encouraging um, a lot of this uh, growth in travel, or is, what is it? Do you think is at the core of it? Well, I think there's a you know we've seen the the economy get stronger and there's growing consumer confidence that I think is fueling the holiday travel. Where is it going to be the worst? I mean, if I what do I need to avoid if I if I could avoid it? Well, if you're going to um, our recommendation is that you pack a lot of patients if you're going to go to any major city um, because traffic is going to be really heavy. Um, so we we advise that you go either early in the morning, avoid any type of um, rush hour type of traffic. Um, you know, make sure that you allow plenty of time and then, you know, with the weather coming in like it's forecasted to, um, that could present some problems too. So, you know, I would just make sure that your car is roadworthy, that you've got, um, you know, some emergency um, things along in the car like a snow shovel and um, kitty litter in case you get, you know, on ice or things like that and just have warm clothes and um, your cell phone and a cell phone charger. Yeah, it's definitely time to check the winter survival kit, isn't it? Yes, it definitely is. Uh, And I suppose depending on what direction you're going, it could be icy, it could be more snow, less snow, so... Uh, pay attention to the forecast, which yeah. seems to be kind of a, a moving target at this point, too. Exactly. The other thing I was just going to mention is um, make sure that you check your battery because for whatever reason, batteries um, tend to lose their um, efficiency after they're, after you get below 32. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after the temperature gets below 32 degrees. Absolutely. So what about air travel? Um, is it, is the, look like the, uh, uh, is there some place that's going to be worse than others? If I'm really concerned, you know, where's the worst place to be flying this holiday? Well, you know, the major hubs like Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta is um, the busiest, yeah. busiest um, airport in the world. And we now fly directly to Atlanta. So exactly, that can be a trouble. Exactly. Um, but you know, the airlines recommend that if you are flying to make sure that you check ahead to make sure that your flight is on schedule and that um, you're there a couple of hours in advance, even for domestic flights, because of um, getting through security. Yes, absolutely. Always good advice. Marilyn Buskell, she's the manager of public and governmental affairs with AAA in South Dakota. It's going to be crazy out there, Marilyn. I appreciate your advice and your time and uh, have, have a lovely holiday. Well, thank you. You too. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 356, 357, sorry, on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember, they're naked ladies with their version of God rest you, merry gentlemen. And I bring that up because. There's an opportunity for you good people to help out those less fortunate than us because the banquet begins their annual Christmas distribution of packets of personal hygiene items tonight. And here's how you get on it. There are still about 400-ish packets in area Lewis drugstores available for purchase. To help out those in need, you just go to Lewis, 
you buy that packet for $9.99 and it's got, you know, the stuff in there that anybody needs for day-to-day life. And then you drop it into the collection box at the store and then that's distributed distributed out to folks who are clients of the banquet. Your help is deeply appreciated by the banquet and their clients and me. Uh, it's a great way to help folks out. You, uh, We don't always realize how much just the basics sometimes can be difficult to find. I also note today that uh, I saw a release from the banquet. Congratulations and and thank you to Hy-Vee for they paid, Hy-Vee's sponsors bought all the milk for 2018, donating all the milk for clients of the banquet. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Jonathan Ellis for the hour. We'll talk about the uh, Copper Lounge story that he and Joe Sneavy broke this week. And uh, we'll hit a lot of other topics as we normally do. That's coming up after the news with Dan Peters. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh seven on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO. Too much acclaim. The cheers of the crowd. Welcome, Mr. Jonathan Ellis, the finest investigative reporter and columnist working in South Dakota today. There's like three of us. <laughs> well, it's, then it's even better to be at the top. But thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that list is short and distinguished. And so, uh, I didn't even realize this was the live version of Ramble On when I put it in. So we thought we'd ramble on for an hour or so, eh, short of an hour, here on the Patrick Lally Show. So whenever Jonathan's in, we play Led Zeppelin. It's the only time I play Led Zeppelin. And I'll admit to you, there are three more Led Zeppelin songs coming. I think I know one of them. The others were just random Led Zeppelin songs pulled from the library, the extensive musical library of Results Radio. So, you do know that Robert Plant is touring again, right? Uh, did he ever? He's always out there somewhere. He looks good. <laughs> uh, he's great as a solo act, honestly. I like I like Robert Plant better as a solo act than I did as the frontman for Led Zeppelin. To be honest, and I because as you know, as we've talked about many times, I am not a fan. Yes. So thank you for playing the music when I'm here. Oh, no problem. It's the least I could do. Uh, I've gotten better at finding the music <laughs> in the re- extensive results radio library. I think the last time you were here, it was like uh, Stairway to Heaven and Rock and Roll, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, again, We I end up talking with music about music with a lot of our guests, which not every guest, but a lot of the guests, particularly the regular ones, um, are music fans of one sort or another. You know what I mean? They're they're aficionados. They're beyond just casual fans. And I would put you in there. Did you uh, talk music with uh, Senator Blake Kurd yesterday? Uh, no, did not have much time to talk about music with Senator Blake Kurd. I, 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 heard, I heard much of that interview. Yeah, so Blake, Senator Kurd, I call him Blake, and that's, you know, he's a doctor and a senator. He should be, his title should be either doctor or senator, but I call him Blake for some reason. Um, yeah, we were talking about the, uh, training, sensitivity training for, uh, legislators and members of the LRC staff and things of this nature. 
we've we've come a long way in a year. Uh, yeah. If you recall that there was the debate earlier uh, in the last legislative session, which was just this year, uh, the beginning of the front end of this year. Um, there were there uh, there were some lawmakers saying we don't need rules about having sex with interns. Come rules? on, we don't need rules. We don't need to worry about that. So now we're having um, mandatory three se- hours you know, sexual harassment training for all 105 lawmakers. That will be interesting. Uh, you know, I think Senator Kurd talked about how they've done this in the past. Correct? Yep. It's been a few years, probably. I don't recall. Them doing it in the past. Yeah. Now I I don't go to peer. I, it's been a while since I've actually had to go to peer to cover a full legislative session. I don't recall them doing it, but I you know it's probably happened in the past. In the quite a ways in the past. I if you remember, uh, I uh, Matt Michaels, Lieutenant Governor Matt Michaels, former uh, he was he Senate Majority Leader at one point. He had a title. I can't. I think he was Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House. Thank you, Dan. Uh, he was right after the whole stuff broke uh, with the Me Too movement, he was on public radio on our friend Lori Walsh's show on In the Moment, essentially saying there is no problem, that there is no culture in peer, there is no, it's nothing. Uh, he has since had to walk that back, as we like to say, and says, well, you know, some, some uh, sensitivity training would be a good thing. I have personally witnessed some behavior. Now, Good, because apparently you know, it, nobody else has. Okay, well, <laughs> I, um, I, at, in a bar, I, uh, I've seen some behavior between lawmakers and, uh, and others. Um, what I saw certainly looked consensual, uh, so I don't know that it would fall under a harassment-type mm-hmm. situation. But let's just be honest, some of this uh, behavior uh, takes place on occasion. It does, and I think, I think uh, Senator Curd is taking the proper position here the appropriate position, probably one that should have been taken either before this all happened or immediately after, which is we have to live by a higher standard. And he said that about himself. He says, I don't, I don't go out and drink because I, I, you know, I don't, I have to set a higher standard for my caucus, but for the, everybody. So just saying, well, the boys will be boys argument there is gets a little thin a little fast. And it's not always elected people. We know that. Yeah. I, and that is, I, I think that if you were to go back into uh, look at the, the legislature of the era of the 1970s, 80s, I think you would find a lot more of that behavior. I think you would find, um, I mean, that's, this is well known that lawmakers would uh, go to Fort Pier for an extra, again, not just a lot of lobbyists and others, but they would go to Fort Pier for the extra hour um, of course, there were some gentlemen clubs, uh, one at least one in particular in Fort Pier that were well uh, known to be frequented by uh, by lawmakers. Again, so uh, I think that compared to how things were, you know, a few decades ago, um, they're probably quite a bit more tame now than than they probably were. You know, and some of the comments have just made it worse. Uh, Obviously, Gene Abdallah, who's not in the legislature anymore, but is uh, nominated to be on the board of pardons and paroles, allegations were made about him saying inappropriate things. Uh, and, uh, you know, the response, his response to the allegations was not appropriate. And I don't know that uh, Attorney General Jackley's comments were particularly on point, given that he said, well, if it happened to be bad, but Gene said it didn't happen. So I, you know, so all that, it's t- just, the 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 um, comments from G 
Gene Abdullah were very characteristic of Gene Abdullah. I yep. mean, that's the combative personality that he's been. But I'll also say they are an anachronism, or a, uh, uh, they're a part of a, a, a bygone era if we are going to hold ourselves to a bit higher standard. You can't say, well, that's just Gene being Gene. No, <laughs> it's not. It's inappropriate. It's, it's inappropriate to tell your political opponents to go to hell? That wasn't the part I was talking about. Okay. The part where he says about Tiffany Campbell, who is the lobbyist who made this accusation, that maybe if she spent less time in bars or whatever, maybe she'd still have her family. That was, that was, it was unnecessary and inappropriate. Well, it was a comment that certainly undercut his argument that he didn't even know her because right. uh, presumably you wouldn't have known, if you didn't know her, you wouldn't have known about uh, her family situation. So it certainly did not help his cause. So maybe a little, maybe three hours of sensitivity training will raise the bar just a bit. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, We're going to come back with uh, Mr. Jonathan Ellis, the finest investigative reporter and columnist working in the state of South Dakota today. Right after this short break, this is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 418 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. This is uh, another live cut, Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin. That's for our guest, Jonathan Ellis of Argus Leader Media. This probably goes on for a while, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is the live version. <laughs> Maybe we can FF, you know? There we are. That's all we needed to hear. Dave is confused. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Copper Lounge. So you broke, you and Joe Sneavy had a, a fine, fine story. Uh, when did that break? It was this week, Monday, right? It was Monday, yeah. Um, you know very well how the, the how this works in journalism. It's a story that I had actually been working to confirm for a decent amount of time. Yeah. Um, I think I had heard that there was this, uh, and the story is, of course, that there's a criminal investigation, a federal criminal investigation into Holtgren Construction, which was the construction company uh, responsible uh, for the Copper Lounge and, and ultimately the collapse that killed one of the workers there. Um, and we, we learned that there was this federal investigation. I had, I had confirmed that investigation, uh, through some federal officials that would not go on the record. Um, and as you know, our policy is at at Argus leader, uh, to, we have to have on the record sources. Um, so it took me a while. I mean, I knew about the investigation. I knew some details about the investigation and I uh, just simply was unable to get a story published in the paper because I didn't have the, the confirmation that our, our you know, requires of us of the newspaper to have. Um, and so, what was the final confirmation was some paperwork, right? Some court documents, yeah. correct. Th- those are often, if you can find those. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, I mean, usually court documents, especially federal court documents, can be easy to get. These are not because they're not, it's not actually in a federal, it's a sort of an administrative law judge. Um, where you don't just go onto the internet and find the find the uh, the documents, you've got to know where where it's at, uh, what what office it's at, and so uh, I was fortunate that um, uh, I pointed in the right direction of where where I needed to go to, to to find those documents, and then was able to obtain the documents. Was it in? It's kind of inside baseball, but it's interesting. 
it was included in the OSHA investigation, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. So it was it's sort of attached to that one. Is that where you found that, it? Yeah, there is. So we, so we know that the OSHA investigation, of course, of, is into the uh, un, you know, workplace safety issues and the death of Ethan McMahon. Um, and that's a civil process. So that's not a criminal process. And so there, the OSHA, OSHA had issued its uh, fi- its its uh, penalties against Holtgren Construction and then another company that was involved uh, back in April and May, and there was a, an appeal from Holcren Construction, and so that appeal was actually just postponed, was sidelined, it was stayed, I guess is the appropriate legal term for it. And that was the first indication that something was going on, right? Correct, but we did not know it had been stayed, and so we, the first document we received said, hey, we're going to, you know, was a judge agreeing, this administrative law judge saying, okay, we'll stay this case, this appeal, uh, for a period of time while this criminal uh, investigation takes place. So that was the first documentation that we had that there was, in fact, a criminal investigation. And so, really, you've got one very, th- uh, could, what could be one thin slice of a larger pie because it's just one step in the process. It's Yeah, it's one step in the process. Um, we did we did get another then another document that shed a little more light on what it is they're looking at and it's quite substantial. Um, it, it it quotes a figure of about 150 gigabytes, which is a lot a lot of a lot of materials that the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office here in South Dakota is reviewing. Um, that includes videos, photographs, uh, emails. Uh, correspondence, interviews with subjects involved in, in the investigation. So it's quite a substantial amount of materials. Um, and we don't know, I mean, we know that there were, we know that there were federal violations. We know that. That's why OSHA was involved. These things don't typically rise to a criminal level um, unless there was just, you know, out-and-out recklessness. You had a stat in that story on Monday that said in what, you, well, I think it was 2013, yep. that out of 28,000 cases or whatever it was, only three had been resulted in criminal. There were, more, yeah, 39,000. 39,000 inspections, only three of those resulted in, in criminal referrals. So that uh, tells you that there must be something kind of extraordinary um, in, the, in this particular investigation. We're talking with Jonathan Ellis. He is a reporter and columnist with Argus Leader Media. Um, and we are discussing the Copper Lounge collapse, which was in 2016. We've just passed a year. Uh, it sort of seemed like it was quieting down, and then it all blew up. And what what caused it to blow up? Do you know? Can you say? I, should I say. you know I, I I I don't know why the federal investigation why it's I mean I, I you know I don't I, I can't say exactly why it blew up now and, it, and it's blowing up now because we were able to publish a story right and the investigation has been going on for a while um but we like i said you know we were unable to confirm that um so clearly they have materials that they think um they have materials that they think uh point to something that was much more than just sort of negligence on the part of an employer but something that rises to or potentially a criminal level so is it possible, and this is important, we should say, and a lot of folks know this, but it's important because Hulkern Construction, Aaron Hulkern, is one of the signees, essentially, on the new $50 million hotel parking ramp deal. 
That and, is, and legacy development. Correct. And that was controversial, and, and yep. in part because legacy development was the developer on the Copper Lounge. Hulkring Construction was the construction company. Um, so uh, obviously there are some people who, you know, connect dots there, and maybe they, sh- you, know, uh, you know, I think some people would say, well, they're separate entities. Hulkring Construction is not doing construction on this new $50 million deal. They're not even involved in that. That's fine. But for some people that is, a, that is concerning. Um, and that, that now, now to know that there's an cr- actual criminal investigation into one of the gentlemen who signed a personal guarantor on this project, again, I think for some people that's, uh, that's a concern. Absolutely. We're talking with Jonathan Ellis. He is an investigative reporter and a columnist with Argus Leader Media and, as I say, the finest investigative reporter working in South Dakota today. And I, 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 I challenge anybody to refute that. Uh, we're going to talk more about a little bit more about Copper Lounge Collapse and then move on to some other topics here. But this is fascinating. Right after the news and the weather with Mr. Dan Peters, this is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 433 on the Patrick Lally Show. More live Zeppelin. I like this live stuff. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I, I didn't do it on purpose, but now that I now that I have, I, I kind of enjoy it. There's a, I found a long list of Zeppelin songs. Well, as you should. It's yeah. like the, the greatest rock band ever, right? Yeah, and so I, it's probably like six albums worth of stuff in there. And so, I mean, I see rock and roll. I pulled rock and roll. I did not look at which album it came off of. I should probably pull only songs off like one and two, right? No? You're okay? Isn't it one? Aren't they just numbers up to like four? Well, what's called four is not, it's not, it's just kind of, it's not, they didn't label it four. Okay. That's what people call it, I think. Got it. All right. Well, I think it was, anyway. So I got to, I got to do a little more research before you come back again. I gotta I'm do. Sorry, I'm sorry you have to do that. You don't <laughs> like Led Zeppelin. No, well, I'm just going to ask people. Oh, okay. I, I'm not going to actually listen to it. No, you should read Hammer of the Gods. I know. Very entertaining. When I was in, uh, you know, seventh grade, everybody was reading Hammer of the Gods except for me. I was listening to God Save the Queen. You would have learned a lot. <laughs> anyway, that's our, uh, our uh, you know, standard uh, Led Zeppelin conversation for our guest, Jonathan Ellis of Argus Leader Media. Uh just to finish up on this uh, Copper Lounge discussion, uh, you're not done. It's not done by any means. We talked about it just being one sliver of the pie. Yeah, it's it's not done. I I, uh, I mean, we have to wait and see. Uh, you know, there there are probably many investigations that yield nothing, and so maybe uh, af- after this is over, there's nothing that happens. Uh, they decide there's not enough there for any kind of criminal pursuit. Uh, you know, the reaction has been very characteristic of, of what we have out of the current administration uh, in the mayor's office. And that, you know, that is bunker down, don't say a thing, be quiet. Uh, email went out to the city councilors uh, advising them not to comment for any stories um, because uh, I think I can't remember if they use the old warn mm-hmm. uh, uh, litigation. This is uh, but actually, you know, they you know, so they've been told not to comment. Um, so they're bunkering down and we're, we, we are continuing to report on stories uh, as they present themselves. And in fact, um, later this, a- this afternoon, this evening, um, at ArgusLeader.com, we will have, I'll be breaking, um, additional news, uh, in this area. Here's the, here's the quote from the tweet sent out yesterday. I would advise if any of you are contacted by the media, it would be best if you had no comment on the potential or pending investigation of Holtgren construction. 
And it would be best if you don't ask me any questions about it either. <laughs> oh, that wasn't on there. Uh, that's just it. It's that uh, hunker down mentality. And Yep, get in your bunker. Don't talk. Get even, in your bunker. Even if it's benign, don't say anything. Right. Uh, that has become the modus operandi there. And, you know, eight years into an administration, um, oftentimes at the end of a long term like this, you know, people get strained. Yeah. This relationship with the media was strained about three days in. So, uh, correct. I mean, you know, that, that is definitely correct. Uh, so we so. should expect no less, but so you've got a story dropping here in mere minutes. Right. Uh, myself, yeah, and Joe Sneevy yeah. uh, at ArgusLeader.com shall have a we'll have a story published uh, approximately 4:55. That's done for some competitive reasons. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, our competitors in the TV world did not um, have this story. It took them. Uh, I think it took our chief competitor Kello. It took them um, 24 hours to catch up to the story, and, and we do that, you know, so that they can't pilfer the story, and, and which actually they did anyway, but, um, <laughs> standard so, operating procedure right, there. Right. So, but they didn't actually, weren't able to actually get the document. They were, they were able to just steal our story and, but without any kind of, va- you know, attribution to where it came from. And no. they, they did catch up and finally get the documents. This uh, is common. Uh, and you know, it's just, this is just, uh, the way it has worked for a long time is, uh, we would publish a story and then understanding how things work, knowing you can't get documents after five or what have you, or it's going to take a while. Uh, and whatever reporter, television reporter, whatever, would just call up somebody that would have knowledge of it and say, is that story correct? And they would say yes. And then they would just run it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's the easy way out, but it happens. And that's just, that's just life when you're on the tip of the spear. Um, so that story will break later. We encourage people to watch for that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we'll just, how long is this le- uh, investigation supposed to last? It's uh, the the most recent update on the investigation, which was filed with the court on uh, November 20th, um, estimated at least 90 days. Um, you know, this being, I suspect, a complex investigation. Given the given the materials referenced that they need to review, it wouldn't surprise me if it went beyond ninety days. Um, I, I think we're all aware, those of us who participate in this area, that investigations go a long time. Um, so this could go a while, but I think for the sake, I think a lot of people, and there, there are a lot of people who are waiting um, in in Sioux Falls. There are a lot of potential claimants uh, who are waiting for the process, the federal process, to play itself out, and in particular, the OSHA process. Mm -hmm. And now that that OSHA process has been stayed, there are some people who are, you know, you're going to start to think about statute of limitations uh, that are going to start to hit in this next year, and what what do you go ahead and move forward with lawsuits or what they do. So uh, there's a lot writing, actually, on on both the the criminal and civil uh, investigations here. We're talking with Jonathan Ellis, reporter for Argus Leader Media in Sioux Falls. Um, not to just viciously change subjects here, but uh, have you uh, spent your tax money yet? Spent your tax cut yet? Have you calculated it out and then just went out and spent frivolously on that? To fuel I, the economy? Hey, we're rich. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to plan to uh, look at to see what the latest model Ferrari is going to cost and see whether that's going <laughs> to... My... Uh, my uh, there's something trickling down to you. You just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, what's interesting is that Boeing has announced that they are going to 
do some investments. Wells Fargo is going to raise their pay rates. Uh, they, you know, they, Wells Fargo also said they're going to buy a bunch of back a bunch of stock. So you know, and and that's what that's what corporations. Yeah, do. you mentioned that yesterday. Yeah. That's that's what they're going to do. But what's Boeing doing? Does it let's say? see? Boeing CEO applauds tax law, $300 million in employee-related and charitable investments to spur innovation and growth. Oh, we'll see what those are. I, as I said, could work. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I have to look and see what's in the final bill because, you know, things have changed. And, but, I, you know, there, there were some very, there have been compelling arguments made for a very long time that the, that the corporate tax structure in, this, in yep. this country was not competitive with the rest of the world. And I've said that. I, you do need to change it. But you shouldn't say, here's, here's where I go wrong with this, is that you can cut corporate taxes and it, they needed to be reformed. But don't try and pretend that somehow that's going to benefit me because it's not. It's going to benefit the uh, multinational corporations that are involved with it. And that's fine. That's okay. Making money's okay. But don't, don't lie to me. <laughs> You know, and that's that's what bothers me. About well, it. Patrick, if it, they do in fact improve the economy, we'll see. If they improve wages, then you know you will benefit. In well, some you way. know that real wages haven't increased for a long time, and we are at record low unemployment. So why wouldn't? Here's what I would have liked them to do: We are going to change the federal, uh, the, the corporate tax rates. Yes, and we're going to change some of the 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 rates. Great for individuals. Fantastic. Also, we're going to ra- raise the federal minimum wage over a period of years so that a portion of that profit that you're going to get from the tax cuts will be funneled back into worker salaries. Just as a, it's an artificial f- trigger, but at least it's there because corporations have been sitting on this cash for quite a while and not investing it. Um, if they do it now, uh, that's great. If wages go up appreciably, but it's never happened before. So why would it happen now? And I know you don't have the answer to that question. <laughs> nor, nor would I want to answer it if I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's the, uh, that's the black magic of uh, economics, right? You don't always, things don't always happen the way you think they're going to happen. There are some broad sort of uh, guidelines or, or trends that we live under. But if you believe that supply and demand is the ultimate arbiter of, of price, then when the demand for labor is so high and the supply is so low, the cost, the, the cost of labor should go up. But it doesn't. It hasn't. Not alone keep up with inflation. Real wages, real wages are well below what they were 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I do. I, there have, uh, I think some recent studies, I can't point to one offhand, but in the last couple of months, there have been uh, some positive growth in, mm-hmm. in terms of wage, wage growth. Well, uh, the average, so. the average wage in South Dakota did take in Sioux Falls, I think in the Metro did take a little bump last year, but that didn't have anything to do with Trump's tax cut, tax cuts. Well, maybe it'll be more than a little bump. Maybe it year. will. Maybe it will. But yeah, I think that, that this is an interesting, um, topic. Uh, that we could talk on and on about, but it sure is, it certainly has brought out the hypocrisy on, on both sides of the political aisle. As, oh God, as yes. Typically, big legislative proposals like this will do. Suddenly, Democrats are worried about the deficit, you know, yep. the national debt, which they have really not been concerned about. And suddenly, Republicans they don't care about national debt when they were using it to beat Obama for the last eight years when he was president. So, 
you know, it, it's interesting how when you're in power, suddenly um, your priorities change. Uh, the only yeah. thing we know is that we had a budget surplus when Clinton was president. And that's because, I mean, Clinton raised taxes. We called it a stimulus package, but Clinton raised taxes. And so there was more revenue. That's why we had a surplus. And the, and the economy grew because we were coming out of a recession. It, you know, and then it went away because we went to war. I, I would suggest it was more complex than just one area. But yeah, I mean, there was a, there was booming tech tech at that time. You Very had, true. You had, uh, you had welfare reform uh, in yep. 1996. Uh, you had um, a reduction, certainly in the armed forces uh, that had took place. Uh, yep, peace early, dividend. Remember that? The peace dividend, yeah. Lasted about six months. So, yeah, so about that. So, um you're looking at your phone. Things are happening. Things are happening. News is breaking. My, we're phone, actually, my we're, phone was doing weird stuff. We're going to give uh, Jonathan Ellis a, a chance to check in with uh, the mothership, uh, and we'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. <laughs> 448 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Little extended play there for Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin. I remember this song now. This is a great song, actually. I like this one. I'm not a fan of all of it, but this one I like. Yeah, it's a good song. Jonathan Ellis, the finest investigative reporter working today in South Dakota, is with us in our final moments here. Uh, so you used to cover City Hall, too. Um, it's just chaos over there now, right, because of golf? Because of all, yeah, because of golf. Uh, yeah, what an interesting um, saga that, that this has kind of turned into. Really fast, it, too. Really fast. It, it's, you know, the, the, the administration has used every strong-arm tactic available to it um, in order to try to, you know, obviously for those uh, unacquainted, but the, to, you know, a new, a new contractor, uh, Landscape Unlimited, to take over the golf uh courses here the city city owned golf courses and and actually flipped the way the city has done business for decades in terms of golf and that doesn't seem to be in the contract you know what i mean it, it's not clear that the way they're doing this where they're going to buy this equipment apparently to just i don't know if they're going to give it to landscapes unlimited or if they're going to you know just lease it i don't know what they're planning to do but they don't own equipment now why are they going to Right. Suddenly now, now they're going to be in the, we're owning the golf equipment business and yeah. that, that's putting task taxpayers. Are they going to change the oil too? Yeah. At, at, you know, taxpayers at a risk that maybe they haven't had in the past under this, you know, the, the, the big concern here from, uh, you know, and the, the city can have its contracts and have it, you know, has its process, the process again, um, the administration attempting to use sort of the strong arm, like, Hey, we're going to have this really controversial, um, uh, contract uh, at the last council meeting of the year, and oh, if you don't approve it, well, guess what? We don't have anybody to manage it, so you got to approve. You know, put them basically in mm-hmm. a corner where they don't have a choice, and give it to them on Friday, and the votes on Tuesday. Yeah. Hundred page contract. Give it to them on Friday, and, and they don't. They don't have. Keep in mind the process here. From a, from again, from a I'm, a. I'm a journalist, and I and I uh, like transparency in government. I think good government is transparent government, and this has been an extremely. Uh, this process and processes before it using these requests for proposals from the city 
are extremely non-transparent. And I have very little faith that the actual that the processes take place uh, in a sort of neutral, objective, free way. Um, I I maintain that um, there's probably a lot of political favoritism that takes place uh, in these RFP processes. We don't get access to the request for proposals. Uh, they don't get that city chooses not to make those available to people. So we don't have an opportunity to it wait. It is not sealed. It is not a sealed document under state law. People, I mean, I think there's, there, there's this assertion that, oh, you can't look at those. Yeah, you can. No, it's, it's actually, and actually under a, under a bidding process, for example, if the, the city gets into the golf, uh, business and has to start buying, uh, you know, golf carts or whatever, they would have to, uh, under, under state laws, there are bidding requirements. So they have to put out for bid, we need X amount, you know, whatever the equipment they need. And the manufacturers of that equipment or the, the sellers of that equipment would be able to submit bids, say, oh, we'll give you the X amount of golf carts for how much money. And mm-hmm. those bids are public record. Uh, th- and so uh, that's, those are, you know, that you would see if, if there were five bidders for this equipment, you'd see what they put in, how much money they were trying to, um, you know, sell the, sell the equipment for. Uh, those are bid, you know, those are legal requirements under state law. RFPs, however, are much more sort of amorphous, and they they don't have. Uh, while the city could make those requests for proposal public, they have this this particular administration chooses not to do that. You know what's amazing to me too is that uh, Greg Neitzert said at the meeting last night that he asked for the proposal that was submitted by Landscapes Unlimited, and they said no, not until after you approve the contract. Right. That you they, got on they, Friday. They want you. They want you to. It's just interesting. I, I would. I would have a hard time voting for something. They want you to approve a, approve uh, a contract, but they don't. But you don't actually get to see the proposal that the contract is based on. Uh, and I, there's I, city I would have a hard, Yeah, I would have a hard time as an elected official stomaching that. Yeah, they're just. I mean, they're. And and again, I said this earlier. It seems to me that they're just. They they just keep flaming this culture of, uh, the suspicion. Even when they don't maybe have something to hide. I don't know if they have something to hide or not, but it sure feels like it, doesn't it? And it happens over and over and over. When uh, Joe Sneavy was doing the story on the parking ramp and what the costs were going to be, they had information that they withheld from them, from him, on purpose, that actually would have helped the story and would have explained it better to the public. But they chose not to. Well, why? It's, they're just cutting off their nose despite their face. Um, you know, I mean, I think at times they are, they are trying to hide information purposely. I mean, again, this is the same administration that boasted about getting a $1 million settlement and hid behind a confidential settlement, uh, and that, that turned out to be a bogus claim. So they are at times actually being dishonest. Um, we've caught them at that. Uh, there are other times when they're committing unforced errors. They're just being non-transparent because we're, we're the city and we're not going to, you know, release this information. And, and it actually hurts them. And I think if the process had been more transparent to begin with on this RFP, the, the people who were sele- on the selection committee, if it had been more transparent, uh, you would have not had nearly as much um, controversies as we've seen over, over this. And now we, have a, now, we're let, now we have a special meeting coming up at the end of the year. Uh, it's, it's very high stakes now. The You know, I understand at some measure the RFP process that you want to shield those people from lobbying, but there has there are common sense reforms that could be instituted to shine a little light and eliminate some of the suspicion. That's what I think. They need to at least have the conversation. You don't have to think that, but I do. 
You don't have to think again. <laughs> again, I, I, in the interest of transparency, right. uh, you know that's my prof- my profession. Uh, we are always trying to sort of expose a light on what your government's doing, so we know that the the, the government officials are spending your very hard earned tax dollars uh, as best uh, as they can. Uh, in the interest of transparency, I have uh, you know I, I will always say that you know that I think it would be best that that they handle these things in a way that the public can have confidence in. Someday, Jonathan. Someday. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Jonathan Ellis of Argus Leader Media, the finest investigative reporter working in South Dakota today, for coming in and spending an hour of his precious time on the Patrick Lally Show. It's always good to see you, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. And and, uh, if you go to ArgusLeader.com, I think if it's not up uh, yet, it will be up very soon. Cool. Um, Maybe I'll just read that in the last minute or so we have here on the program. Thank you. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. <laughs> 458 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and we end the day with one of my favorites, as always, Radio Clash. And I see Jonathan's stories posted here that we've been talking about. All today, and the headline is Copper Lounge Investigation Company Illegally Removed Dumped Asbestos in Landfill. You can go read that now. Coming up on the Patrick Lally Show tomorrow, Teresa Staley will be here. Have a good night, everybody.